You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you today for another interview, special interview episode, and a special one even more so today because we're kind of revisiting somebody who we had on several weeks ago in bringing them back to talk more about what they were talking about the first time around. I do, of course, speak of esteemed legendary director Guy Norman B, who gave a great chat to me several weeks ago, about, uh, particularly about his time on Third Watch. And we mentioned and alluded at the end of that uh, episode that we would get him on back again to talk more about Third Watch. And we're a show that likes to keep their promises because today we bring you our second interview with Guy Norman being a lot more in depth than the first one. This is a fantastic chat, really going in to a lot of details about several other aspects of working on Third Watch. He talks about the ER crossover, uh, talks about, uh, you know, the looming uh, doom of cancellation and how it kind of worked around there, how it was treated by NBC at the time. Uh, also talks uh, a lot about working with a variety of actors, some of his favourite episodes, some behind-the-scenes stuff, locations, and just a lot of stuff here that really is great for any Third Watch fan out there that perhaps wants to hear a lot of behind-the-scenes aspects of the show. Really, as a fan myself, clearly learning a lot here along the way. And we also even answer some of your listener questions that you sent in to us, as well as uh, talking a little bit about outside of Third Watch, working on some other TV shows, and also some movies, including uh, arguably one of the biggest films in the history of movies, Titanic. Uh, so lots to talk about here. Great discussion. Here is our second interview with esteemed director Guy Norman B. Pleasure to be able to welcome back our next guest here to the Oz Network. Spoke a few weeks back now uh, to this man about all things to do with Third Watch and everything else in between. And so good was he that we wanted to get him back to talk more about Third Watch, more about his great career and more about uh, who knows what else. I do, of course, speak of the legendary, I'm using that word again, uh, director, producer, Mr. Extraordinaire himself, Guy Norman B. Guy, welcome back to the Oz Network. Well, thanks for having me, Ben. It, uh, it it feels like no time has passed since the last time we spoke. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Just it's a continuation of <laughs> our uh, of our conversation. But I mean, we we got obviously through some great stuff. Uh, I believe in the first chat, and uh, I think our listeners were very much appreciative of uh, kind of the stories and everything that you're telling about sort of throughout your time on Third Watch. Uh, I mean, did you kind of? Does it open a door when you get asked all these questions about a show that you haven't been obviously involved in for over 10 years? And, you know, you're obviously still in contact as we went through in the first interview with a bunch of these other actors. But does it make you... Did, did we get you in the mood to watch any of these old episodes again, Guy? I don't know if you've kind of found the time to do that since we last spoke. Yeah, no, a little bit. No, things come back in waves like, you know, we were talking about the, on After Hours how, you know, we tried to set up... Um, or one of my harebrained ideas was to have whenever one of the... Um, kids, one of the angels came back, some kind of audio or visual cue, um, you know, very sublime that, you, uh, you know, I always call it upon a second viewing mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And I was thinking that because there, there was something you had put on social media recently about um, the episode where Doc, I guess um, Lisa Vidal's character, gets a job and potentially gets a job in Philadelphia and Doc, uh, they go down on the train. Mm-hmm. And I think the opening of it is he gives her... Um, an engagement ring, I think. I th- yes, from what I remember, he does. Yes, but so the motif of that, if you want, upon a second viewing, I think the motif on that episode was circles. So I tried to like start shots with circles or have circles in frame, everything like a, a wedding, you know, uh, our engagement ring motif. So I, I you know, one, once I read that, I'm like, man, I'd love to go back and see that episode, but I don't think I have a copy of it. I, I mean, I, I know I've got the 
complete first season on DVD, but um, I've never really, you know, gone out of my way to get the other ones on, on uh, uh, you know, it's some, I mean, I guess by now I could probably find somebody that could. Oh, we can hook you up. We can hook you up, guy. Don't okay. worry. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool, because, because in the other, the other one, I mean, sadly enough, I mean, um, with, with uh, the recent school shooting, what, a month ago, um, I directed uh, um, uh, the, uh, was the season finale of season two, I believe. Um, and Zeus wept. Yeah, I believe it was. It was yeah. um, uh, and Zeus wept. And when the whole thing, you know, when we shot the pilot, um, was right when Columbine happened, and I know that you know we had talked about it, and you know the, I knew the writers at some point were going to do like a, a high school shooter episode. So I was again lucky enough, pure you know, the old uh, um, horseshoe up the butt syndrome, which is good. Um, I got a nice uh, you know lucky break, and I got to do the episode where um, it was it was the high school shooting episode, and that was um, you know very timely. So I started thinking about that, like man, I would love to rewatch that, and maybe even like you know send some kind of link out to people like you know you know just just spotlighting how you know how long we've been at this because that was what 2001 mm. maybe 2000 2001 yeah yeah they, uh, it's 2001 so you know this is like 17 years we've been dealing with this kind of you know the the, the problem with guns and it's interesting because australia had dealt with it what 24 years ago and 22 years ago and uh anyway that's a whole other issue but um i, I really would you know after seeing um, I guess it's man enough. Is that the episode? That is, yeah, the Doc, the Doc and yeah, um, yeah uh, Sarah episode Morales. Yeah, Morales. Yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I keep in touch a little bit with Lisa. She's still around, and uh, you know, social media circles, and we comment on each other's stuff. So it's kind of funny. Um, I always joke around. I mean, the first first scene I ever directed was her and uh, Michael Beach in bed together. So wow. to be a team player, I just direct. I you know just for the first setup, I just laid in bed with them <laughs> and, and kind of describe what we we're going to do. And <laughs> perks of the job. Uh, what a way to start your career <laughs> yeah. as a director. Yeah, um, it's it's. But crazy. anyway, yeah, and Zeus wept and 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 in man enough were definitely two that I'm like, man, I would love to just be able to access those episodes that you know you know just by you know clicking on something on my computer because now we have that technology. But you're going to hook me. I up. I can uh we'll we'll talk behind the scenes uh i'll definitely hook you up okay. this, is, this is where i'm meant to be one of those real sort of like asshole podcast producers or whatever and say like i'll give you the episodes if you give me the people to interview but um no i'll hook you up it's uh <laughs> i'll uh I'm work- you know i'm working on that i know um, i know oh, i know we we, we will do yeah. it but i know definitely I'll, I'll i'll be able to hook you up just uh nbc warner brothers if you're listening you're not hearing me say that right now um but it's no, it's, no, it's no. interesting you're talking about and zeus wet because i mean we recorded the episode probably a couple of months ago, at least at the time of this um, uh, interview, and by the time this airs, uh, would have probably we would have just aired it. And I remember sort of mm. talking on that episode about how you know still relevant this episode is, and that obviously was before what has just recently happened in in Florida. And I mean, I, I'm sure right. kind of as a director to kind of really get a, a sense of you know the subject matter out to the audience. I mean. Is it is it difficult? Because I mean that is a powerful episode, kind of everything that happens throughout and Zeus wept and it's just such a a powerful finale. Really the last finale Third Watch did that kind of didn't end on a cliffhanger. Um so I mean it's sort of yeah. it was a very unique finale and one as I said it's still very relevant today. So I mean it must be sort of a challenge to really portray that emotion out there as as much as it, it shows on the screen. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I, I always seem to rise to the occasion. Hopefully, um, the, the the challenge or 
you know, you have a responsibility. You know, what's great is like it's it's great to be a director. It's great to be a storyteller or a filmmaker for a living. But also, um, there's there's a great um, responsibility to get it right and not glorify it and not blow it off as no big deal. And you know, um, certainly September 10th was one that you know I, I barely slept. Uh, you know, the the uh, that whole shoot because it's like, man, I can't. You know, this is this this is heavy stuff this is this is as 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 relevant and again just being responsible for telling those stories it's not this, these opportunities don't come around very much in in your career so um it's interesting that there you know that there's been a few of a few of those episodes where I've, I've i've drawn that you know the straw that i you know got to got to do those episodes um yeah it's just that that kind of drives you creatively and you you know you, you don't compromise as much as you would on just a a normal episode that that's just not real that's just furthering the narrative for, for the for the serialized aspect of a show and you know I'm doing the episode where the you know the previous episode we introduced this character and now this is where the resolution of that and I mean these were real and they continue to be on um, terrorism and um, school shootings and access to guns and people um, walking into schools with guns and um, you know it's amazing like I was saying I mean it's almost like March or April of, of 2001, we shot that. So we were talking 17 years ago. And mm. you know, has, has anything changed? No, Very little, yeah. um, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, it's nice to have, be, have that responsibility to kind of shine a light on it and say, look, you know, this is, this is a fictionalized version of a big problem that we have in, in, in the U.S. And, and um, hopefully it, it'll, it'll wake some people up and, um, or, or it won't. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, i got to see that one again because that really – seems really very relevant um to you know to present time right now yeah very much so very much so um and just kind of backtracking a little bit you mentioning obviously this week when we're doing this uh interview guy obviously we aired the man enough episode and i just i thought it was funny when we posted on instagram um mike actually michael beach actually commented on it and um <laughs> i'm gonna read this out because I, I love this and i don't know if you maybe have a bit of an insight into kind of why lisa vidal ultimately uh wasn't kept on because i think she wanted to join er after that if i'm not uh, mistaken um mike said if i remember correctly doc is really stupid here but the real reason is <laughs> because uh lisa was not a regular and the producers wouldn't make her a regular lisa got a season regular on another tv series which i believe as i said was er uh so i had to come up with some lame excuse to have them split up hence doc looks like an idiot I was very unhappy because I loved working with Lisa. Now, I know you were a producer yeah. on the show at the time. Is that true? Or did they just not want to make Lisa a regular? Yeah. Because, I mean, Doc and Doc and Morales were just, what a couple, and we were devastated to see them kind of end, even after all these yeah, years. Yeah, she, she's great. I had worked with her, um, I believe, before that. She was, on, she was a regular on a show called High Incident, which was, um, I believe, which was DreamWorks. It was Spielberg-produced. Charlie Hayde was uh, who was the third watch director on and off, played Renko on Hill Street Blues, but you know later in his career became a director. It was Finney too. Um, he Finney's was the dad, showrunner on High Season Six from memory too, wasn't he? What's that? Uh, Charles Hayde was. Oh, uh, he had a he had a part. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was, right. uh, he was a hell of an dad. actor. Yeah, he was brilliant. We actually just talked about him. Yeah. Um, we're covering Nip Tuck at the same time, and uh, he had a small role on that and directed a heap of episodes of Nip Tuck. So funny that you bring him up. Actually, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> yeah. So, so Charlie. Um, uh, 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 God, I lost my train of thought. So, um, uh, uh, oh, geez. We're talking about Lisa, uh, and sort of, uh, her. Yeah. Pr- well, well, um, 
Yeah, she was a regular on the show High Incident, which I think was one of the first things I did. I was still a camera operator, I remember, uh, and working on it with Charlie because Charlie and I, he had directed a bunch of episodes, not a bunch, but maybe two or three uh, um, ERs, and we, we hit it off. Um, and so when he knew that I was off of ER and freelance again, um, he snatched me up for High Incident just for an episode here and there. I, I wasn't on it full time. So I knew Lisa from there, and that would have been like 96, 97. So flash forward, um, I know that Chris Tulak, you know, was a was a big fan of Lisa's and had a, a you know professional uh, crush on her. So you know, we we had a chance to uh, to add that character. Um, again, I'm not in the I was never in the writing room, so I don't know how it went down. Um, but uh, we were all excited to have her. She's great. But you know, typically on a show that has a big ensemble cast, you know, you get six mouths to feed, one through six on the call sheet. And not that every, anybody was like a high high dollar um, actor at the time, but still that you know that adds up. So. When you have a character that comes in, um, they have different designations for it. They call them like top of show and um, you know series regular. There's different there's different names that they give the actors. Um, you know when it comes time to negotiate, they you know they they see that an actor is working really well and they, the writers like writing for that particular character. Everybody starts saying, well, you know, play you know make us part of the show, give us a contract to stay on. I mean, this is just what agents and managers do. That's that's kind of they they have to they you know they have to fight for their client, or we you're not going to be our first priority when it comes time to book uh, other shows because we can't take Lisa or any actor off the market unless there's some kind of you know piece of paper that that designates that that um, you've 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 locked them in and into a contract. So if that if that goes long enough, eventually you know pilot season rolls around, and the agents get tough at that point because they're like, look, we're not going to let our client. I mean, even if the client is having a ball on the show and everybody, you know, enjoys having them as part of the ensemble, which obviously we did. Yeah, because her and Mike got along great. It was like a real couple, even though they were both married. We said that a lot. We Um, said that a lot, that these two should be together in real life. They're amazing together. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and and Mike's a lover. You know, Mike's a big hugger. And so, you you know, anybody that works with Mike falls in love with him anyway. Um, But so, yeah, so I think it just comes down to business. It just says, well, look, you know, we don't have it in the budget to make her a regular. And, you know, creatively we have to make her, you know, uh, exit look um, organic without it being um, awkward and and ham-fisted. And I think that's, you know, again, memory serves. I think that's kind of what it was. And there you go. If that was truly her last episode. It was. There you go. That's a lot of responsibility on me to make that look good and make it, you know, sell the idea that, um, you know, make it heartbreaking and um, that, you know, he he was so close to kind of being – uh, you know, having everything married to the, you know, this, this you know, awesome, I mean, the, you can't find a more beautiful, sexy uh, doctor in the world than, than Lisa Vidal. And he could have had it all, but he can't give up New York or however, whatever the storyline was. But uh, I think, isn't that also the episode where where they go to some guy's drunk and disorderly and Bosco goes to put him in handcuffs and yes. he goes to handcuff his one, one hand, he clicks with puts the cuffs on one hand and he goes to get his other hand and the guy's he, the guy has only one hand. Yep. yep. It is. Yeah. <laughs> that was tough to cast obviously because you know we 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 needed to find an honest to god so the casting people went out and found as many people as they could that it might work and this guy I think that we cast um wasn't an actor but he could he could act drunk enough and and all he had to do was just kind of I can't remember the exact details how many lines we gave him but he just had to run away and just <laughs> sell the idea that um you can't put a cuff on me, and uh, so we were lucky to get that guy that we got. Brilliant! <laughs> but it was it was in the script. Wow! Wow! There you and go. And of course, you know, 
Jason Wilde sells that stuff really oh, well. So good, yes. And uh, I will say, Lisa Vidal did actually <laughs> comment too. She said, oh, I loved working with you too, Mike Beach. It was great. Oh, it was so sad to leave the show. Great characters, Doc and Morales, great memories. Thanks for posting. I, I mean, I know you, obviously, as you keep saying, you don't write the show. You're not in the writer's room. Uh, I think kind of though they should have maybe made her move somewhere other than Philadelphia because I mean isn't Philadelphia only a couple of hours away from New York? Like I mean surely they could just commute on the not, weekends. Yeah, <laughs> it's not it's, it's not that bad. Yeah, I, who knows? I mean, uh, there was obviously you know my it might have been the 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 timeline they had to get on, down there on a train and back the same day mm-hmm. and you know it could have been Boston, could have been Philly. You know, I, I, again, you know, I was three thousand miles away. I was sort of the <laughs> the, the boots on the ground in New York City with you know where I want where I that's where I feel the most comfortable. Um, and typically, a producing director isn't really in the, in the writer's room. Um, but yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, it's a cool. so, you know, so much, so much could have been going through everybody's mind. Or they're, they're, I'm sure there was a method to the madness when they wrote that mm-hmm. that idea for being in Philadelphia. But we even had to shoot some Philadelphia stuff, so we had to go to a, like somewhere out in Long Island or something, and put up signs like. Um, you know, Eagles logos. I mean, there was some stuff that we could use, or the name of the stadium where the Eagles play with a big arrow, like turn this way to to um. God, anybody from Philly's going to kill me. The name of the Eagles stadium. <laughs> They're just the Super Bowl champ yep. guy. No big yep. deal. No big deal. Um. Anyway, <laughs> so we did. We did have to. I, I got to go. Couldn't everybody be just walking around eating uh, cheese steak uh, sandwiches? Doesn't that sell Philadelphia? Uh-huh. Just wearing um, flyers, hats, and things like that. You know, just to to sell. The exactly. City. Yep. Come on, it's yep. easy. But yeah, and I think we couldn't do that. Come to think of it, because that you know those are, those are all copyrighted and t- trademarked, and we, it costs a lot to to clear those logos. Mm-hmm. So I don't even think we were we were able to do. We could use the names of the stadiums, etc., but we couldn't really use any logos. Right, right. There you go. Because I think we yeah, yeah. I remember in that episode asking like, oh, I wonder if they actually go out to Philly to film. Because I think there was like a firehouse scene when Doc's visiting the uh, the paramedics and the the firehouse and kind of they yeah. had, like, the um, Philly PD logos or whatever. So I didn't know if you had gone out yeah. there. You just explain it. There you go. Yeah, we we just went out, out you know, went out some. In, it was you know, I don't know if it was Long Island. It might have been um, closer Queens or Brooklyn or somewhere. But we just we were able to go with the graphics. You know, then we prep that stuff really early in the morning, and we get there, we shoot it, and then when we're done, we just peel everything off and go. So that way, when people you know drive by, they go, "What the? What? This doesn't make any sense." <laughs> um, you know, because it, it truly is just signage. But it it you'd be surprised how people get very 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 confused when they see that. <laughs> yeah, I can I can definitely uh, imagine. The one that I really wanted to talk to you about that we obviously ran out of time uh, last time around, uh, given that you sort of talked about your time early on with ER and ultimately how that led to you getting the role on Third Watch is the the crossover episode in Season 3 that uh, happened with ER, obviously the ER episode, Brothers and Sisters, and then you directed the Third Watch uh, episode of that part, Unleashed. Yeah, do, with Sherry Stringfield. Yeah, do you know how that kind of... Was that always something that was in the pipeline that kind of, you know, the creators wanted to do? And kind of how how did that all come about from a director's standpoint when you're working with Sherry? I mean, it ultimately is a case of you film the Third Watch part, they film the ER part, and then it just comes all together well? Or was it kind of co-collaborating with all those yeah. two episodes? Yeah, I remember it, you know, kind of being organic and working pretty nice. You know, a lot of a lot of e- meetings of like, okay, we'll do those scenes, you do these scenes. You know, because at the time it was sort of in its infancy, but we had like a uh, video. Um, it was expensive. I remember like a video pipeline back to LA. So it's just a matter of okay, you know, three-hour time difference is the only thing that is is you know screwy. And then we just figure out, okay, you know, we'll do it all. You know, these scenes will work out good, and then we'll do this, and then sh- then we'll put Sherry and. Um, uh, God, I guess uh, Kathleen Wilhoyt was also in both 
put her on a plane and get them here and we'll figure you know and and because i think i want to say i think nelson mccormick did the er version uh, or you know the one for er and i think he came to to new york but i didn't i didn't have to go to la to do any of ours um because they were all but shot in New York, pretty- weren't they? Obviously, still kind of just the there wasn't really any third watch elements in the ER, if that makes sense. Like everything yeah. that we kind of saw was still just at the five five and everything. There wasn't anything set in Chicago, so to speak. Yeah, I can't remember, but yeah, it, I don't think it was that t- difficult to, to cross board that kind of thing because it's the same universes, same producers, and um, it was just a matter of you know who's doing what, when, and dates and times and and uh, getting actors on planes and. But that's you know those are the the type of logistics we deal with all the time. So it wasn't anything that that put anybody in a tailspin. But I lobbied hard. I really wanted to do that episode. First of all, I'd been really good friends with Sherry for the first two seasons of ER '94 to '96. We were we were buddies, and she had left the show. I think after like four or five seasons, you know, it was an interesting thing because she was as, as successful as that show was. And as much as you know, everybody loved working with her, and vice versa, she was very homesick to go back to New York. And even though, you know, you sign a five-year contract, she didn't care. You, you know, she, her attitude was, you know, sue me. I, I don't, I, I, I'm done, and I want to be written off the show, and they did. And so this would have been, you know, many years later because um, she rejoined ER, and um, and they figured out a way between the two writers' rooms to, to you know, have a, a, a storyline that made sense because early on they had established her little sister, Kathleen, um, as being, you know, this this wild child who, you know, she she kind of always had to, you know, make excuses for, run interference for, and that all these years later she'd gotten married to this guy and they had a child and now the child's missing and you know now they're in New York so it it worked out pretty good the Chicago to uh, New York aspect of it all so um yeah it was fun I worked hard to get that because I just I just thought it would be such a kick in the pants to do that with Sherry and um and so yeah I ended up doing the ER one. Or uh, the third watch version of the ER third watch crossover. Mm. It was fun. It was. It was. I kind of wish they had done more because I remember when it was first advertised, how excited I was to kind of see it. And uh, I mean, ultimately, you know, third watch kind of is a unique show in having uh, you know crossover series with other show as well. Obviously, medical investigation yeah. later on in season six. I realized like you know the CSIs do it and all the you know Chicago meds and whatever those ones yeah. are do it too. But I mean, this is kind of just all in this weird universe where you've got third watch existing with ER. Then you got it existing with medical investigation, which sadly obviously didn't last that long. But uh, it was kind of unique, yeah. I think. It made the watch a unique show that way. Yeah, because I, I don't think they we ever or they ever did even after I moved on did any kind of crossover ever. I mean, I, you know, there could have been a West Wing one because all three shows were going, you know, on fire on all cylinders at that point. But um, that might have been a little bit of a stretch. But uh, you know, I mean, that uh, the, it was that was kind of the fun part is that. Um, we could do it, and somebody had a, you know, one of the writers had a good pitch for how they, they, you know, how it would work and make sense and wouldn't feel like it was shoehorned in there and just done for fun. Um, so, you know, again, that was, that worked out really good, and everybody was, I think everybody really dug the, the final, uh, product of, but we had a really great actor, Gary Basaraba, played, um, um, Kathleen, or, you know, Chloe, um, her husband, um, really great, one of those, like, legendary character actors who you know his face but you don't know his name um my favorite kind of actor mm. uh it, 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 like you go do i know you from somewhere and you know, sometimes i do or sometimes i only have only you know 
seen them in a thousand things, but I feel like I know them because you know there's like there's like a familiarity. Um, but I can't remember other than that. I can't remember much about the crossover. It's another one I have to put on the list to kind of send you away. I feel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's what there's thir- thirteen of them total. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's fine. It's fine. We'll, we'll go through the list. I mean, obviously, being a director and kind of being involved in the producing side of things, one thing which I, I don't know really it's ever been fully explained. I don't know if you know the extent of it. Is kind of just how how much Third Watch often fought to, I guess, keep going. I mean, was was I've heard sort of whispers around that it did have to often fight every year to kind of, you know, get renewed. Uh, was this a thing constantly kind of with NBC trying to renew it? Was it a case of that you were renewed a lot more than a lot of people knew? And was it always kind of a, a fight to stay on the air? Because, I mean, six seasons is a pretty decent run, but I'm sure it kind of wasn't yeah. as easy as that sounds. I'm sure yeah, there were struggles. Like a, yeah, it was like 130-something episodes total. No, I mean, I think it was in a unique position because it was it was – you know, ER and West Wing were on the Warner Brothers lot, and they were. It felt like those shows got a lot of the attention, um, and and we were kind of on this remote island that they'd just send us the money and we'd turn in a good show and they'd go, oh man, thank God, we don't, you know, that we didn't have a lot of damage control to do, and we always felt like we were the little engine that could, and we all knew that um, we were, you know, our pedigree was. Um, and it would you know the the success of ER at that time was just like you know astronomical ratings compared to everything else behind you know everything else was was not even close, and so we all knew that the pedigree was there you know because you had John and Chris. Um, hopefully, I had a tiny tiny bit to do with that because I was with the mothership you know what the first two seasons, so we knew that that. Um, we had all the elements, and we'd certainly, I mean, I guess you, you, know, you, you more than anybody on the planet can agree, we had a great cast. Very much so. Um, the crew just worked their asses off. Everybody was always just, you know, because we'd start in the summer, and it would be 110 and muggy. And then by the time we got into November, December, January, it was, you know, below freezing and snow, and nobody ever complained. And, uh, and the writing was ridiculously good. I mean, we'd get these scripts, and I'd go, oh, my God, I, I, could, I can't believe this is, this is as cool as it is. Um, so we had all the the elements there, and I think maybe it benefited and um, and was on on the shelf a little longer than it maybe deserved to be. I don't know because because maybe that was part of what John's deal was. Look, you know, ER and West Wing um, do good in the ratings and are very popular critically. Um, Third Watch maybe was the the little bit of the stepchild of the three, but maybe his deal was you know um, if you pick the, these two up, you got to pick the other one up as well and. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's in the six seasons, 130 something episodes, nothing to sneeze at, and it, it gave, you know, I think, it gave everybody a chance to kind of see see characters through. Um, it, it didn't get canceled overnight abruptly, and you know, and, and everybody kind of knew, I think, that it was the sixth season was going to be the last one. You know, again, I had kind of moved on to other stuff by that point. It was a casual observer, you know, I catch an episode here and there, but. Um, I, I felt like it ended great. I mean, that last episode was really cool, and it, it um, you know, I, I, and I don't, I don't know why it never got more popular because it certainly had. And then we always thought, you know, after nine eleven, holy cow, you know, people are going to start tuning in and watching. And maybe they did. Maybe the ratings might have been better than they were for the first two, three seasons. But you know, knowing that, knowing that maybe we're not killing the ratings game, and maybe not even the critics being big fans. You still do 110%. You still work as hard as you you would on on something that was super successful because uh, you know most 
most people, most artists or are, are filmmakers, you don't know what it's like to just give eighty percent. You know, it's all it's all you know. You're always all in, and so um, you know it was it was it was definitely something to be proud of. And I think you know again, I keep in touch with so many of the crew from New York via social media, like daily. I can see what those guys are. You know, one of my one of the our camera guy. Well, there's a bunch, but one of the camera guys is the operator on Blind Spot. One of the other guys was on Gossip Girl, and you know, uh, there's so many shows that they're on that. And you know they were like our little brothers when when we started the show, and now they're all you know they're the, they're the adults on those shows. It's kind of funny. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of pride, and you know when I think back on the show. Um, but uh, you know I think I think it had a good run. Any more, it might have gotten a little stale, and any less, and we may not have been able to play out um, the storylines uh, and giving it justice because um, you know. That's that's the worst. Is is when you get you don't know if you're coming back for another season, and you've left one of the seasons at, you know in a, in a in a cliffhanger, and then they go. Oh, by the way, we're not going to pick you up, and then you have no way to resolve that. Our audiences hate it. They're definitely, the filmmakers and the actors hate it. So, well, at least uh, I think Third Watch had the chance to wrap it up in a nice nice way, and everybody was walked away happy. Yeah, it's. I mean, I agree. Kind of. I remember the finale, and you know, at the time I was young and like, oh, is that how they ended it? But I mean, I really love the ending now. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to complain about it. Um, and I think kind of everything that you're saying there, and I know I'm completely biased with the way I say this guy, but I just, I never mm-hmm. understood why it didn't get more attention, particularly critically. You know, I think it won one Emmy, uh, but I mean, yeah. the fact that we kind of always argue on our episodes is how some of this cast just did not get recognised for their, you know, their acting chops and how a lot of this cast hasn't also gone on to, to bigger and better things because it's just, um, it just it just baffles me because it's, to me, it's some of the best acting I've, I've ever seen kind of through these earlier days just with the, the way it was written and just how it was all shot and everything. And, um, yeah, it just... Yeah. And when I explain this to people, like, oh, what's your favourite show, Ben? I'll third watch. Oh, I've not heard of that. What's that? And you kind of explain it to them. Oh, I think I remember <laughs> that show. Um, and it's just... It's crazy going back to watching it, just kind of how really good it was so yeah uh the, the mysteries of the universe about why third watch i guess didn't yeah. receive that critical acclaim i think it deserves yeah 100 percent. i mean we definitely felt that again that little engine that could kind of thing it's like we're just going to keep plugging away and doing our thing on this island three thousand miles from hollywood and just work hard and do what we we know we're we're, we're capable of um if they like us they like us if they don't you know that we, we can't you know we can't read our press i mean the nice thing is it was way before social media mm-hmm. Um, and so there was none of that daily, um, reading reviews and, 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 and that stuff. So that was, I guess that worked our advantage. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting how careers go and, and, and watching, you know, the, the trajectory. I was just thinking about some of the, you know, the, the, the actors that just came in and did an episode and moved on mm-hmm. to now have huge careers um, there's a there's a bunch and and there's definitely like some some guys that like I was just uh, email or texting or actually no tweeting back and forth with a producer friend of mine who just is produced the first season of Altered Carbon and one of his guest actors or guest I guess he was a regular um, I God I'm gonna kill myself because I can't remember how to pronounce his last name but his first name is Otto A T O and um, I've been following Otto's career for a while because he, you know, adds these these parts, and then he became, I think, a regular on Chicago Med. And I was like, hey, man, that's Otto. And then I, you know, I saw that he was on uh, Altered Carbon, 
And so uh, I tweeted to my producer friend. I said, I think if memory serves, that I I, I cast Otto in his first part ever on Third Watch. And wow. so this morning I woke up and, and Otto had said, Yes, you did. Bike Messenger. Um, and it was the duty episode. Right. Because I think the the first uh, the first call they they get where we see Bobby um, pocket a vial of yeah, um, yeah. morphine that he's going to use later, it's a bike messenger that gets run, you know, hit by a car and has a broken leg. Yeah, yeah. And it's a small little part. It's like, ah, oh, man, my leg's killing me. That's like <laughs> it. But, you know, obviously he had something in the editing room or in the, in the, in the, um, the audition process when he came in. And, but there's been a few of those, like, like uh, small little parts. Adrian Martinez is the guy who was in, he was in um, Band of Brothers, I think my first thing, and he's gone on to have a really nice career. But that's just the stuff, the ones that I've done. There's been other. Well, I mean, yeah. Sterling K. Brown had a big arc. Three um, Academy, three future Academy Award winners that we've counted so far uh, in J.K. Simmons, yeah. Viola Davis, Helen Mirren, all had uh, appearances on Third Watch. Uh, right. Obviously, Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman, that was his very first uh, acting role, I believe. Uh, he was in oh, well. um, an episode of Third Watch, just a very brief role. But. Um, yeah, wow. I mean, just kind of so many people. I mean, also, you know, some of the, the big name people that we're sort of, you know, like Rosie O'Donnell's random cameo, Eve, yeah. um, you know, uh, Wycliffe Jean, um, uh, what was it, Gene Simmons. Yeah, Chris Elliott had a... Yeah, had Chris a Elliott, that was killer. great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Henry Winkler, um, <laughs> yeah. my goodness. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, and Gene Simmons, yeah. your Kiss fan yep. like I am. Yep. Yeah, that was after me, and I was really bummed about that. But, and you know, uh, Ed, Roy Scheider as well, fan. Roy Scheider, um, you know, a huge Roy, Jaws oh, fan. God, well, you know, here's a great, here's a perfect example. I didn't get to direct him, but I was there when they were shooting him, and they did, they did a scene um, that was some, something in, in, in our in our ER set. And I walked down and I go, Mr. Scheider, it's such a pleasure to meet you. You know, I mean, I didn't go into the whole idea, you know, the whole concept of, you know, when I was 10 years old, 11 years old, I saw Jaws, and that's what made me want to be a director. I didn't even go into that. <laughs> But I just said, it's so great to have you on the show, and we're, we're all such big fans. And, and he was like, oh, great, great, well, thanks. I mean, it's great, to, it's great to be here. And I said, is it true? He goes, yes, I improvised the line, we're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> and I go, so he didn't even need to hear me say All I had to say was, is it true? Wow. He gets asked said, that every day, probably. Impro- <laughs> yeah, exactly. I said, it's the greatest improvised line, or greatest, one of the greatest lines in cinema history, yeah. the fact that you improvised it. And he told me that it was it was like kind of an inside joke with him and the crew, because every day... They would load up in the morning to go out on these these barges that kind of all hook together to the picture the you know the orca the picture boat and and so um, every day they kept adding more equipment more lights more stuff and so all these little boats turn you know they start getting bigger boats and then they'd add more little flotillas and, and you know every day it was he'd just walk out and go oh guys we're gonna need a bigger boat <laughs> and so when he did that improvised line. It was just only for the crew. It was just so everybody could laugh about, like, you know, finally it makes sense. We're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> so that was that was kind of was kind of fun. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, oh God, there was somebody else that I just thought it was in my brain, and um, yeah, I mean, the the first thing I ever directed, John Seda played Bobby Cannavale's little brother. Mm-hmm. Now John's you know on all the Chicago shows. Charlie Day too was Bosco's brother from memory. Um, oh, Charlie, exactly. Yeah. You know, that's an, when I met Charlie because my best friend in the world has, has been the camera operator for every episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I went down to visit the set. And I said, Charlie, you don't. I don't know if you'll remember me, but I was, you know, directing, and I, you, you weren't in my episode, but. Um, you know, and he he did he did remember. He goes, yeah, man, I was really just starting out and struggling as an actor, and I think you know he's tried to get started in New York and then eventually moved to Hollywood and. 
but yeah, there's there's a few like that that I mean, if I went through all my episodes, I I, I could point out which is the people that have moved on. Yeah, and, which is crazy to think because we kind of this is the thing that we're really discovering is just these people who are in Third Watch that it's kind of like sure maybe a lot of these the main main cast members haven't necessarily gone on to you know huge things that we think they maybe deserve. But yeah, I mean a lot of these side sort of people. It's funny actually with Chadwick Boseman. Somebody shared that with me on social media because they had like obviously a big write up on him in some um, magazine recently ahead of Black Panther, and it was kind of saying his first acting role was in the TV show Third Watch. Um, and yeah. it's, it's like, I think I found it. It's like, um, in season five in lieu of Johnson. So it's like, he's, he's a firefighter in like the background. I can't even remember if he has a line in the, in the, uh, episode or not. But, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy to think that. But, uh, yeah, we did, we recently kind of recorded the one with, um, Viola Davis. And I remember when we spoke to Yvonne yeah. several weeks back, cause she was in that scene. That was one of the ones where she was double cast cause she initially played a, an attorney or something in season three and obviously came on later on to play Holly. So it's kind of like, you know, right. your first time on Third Watch, you were uh, basically alongside Viola right. Davis, now Academy Award winner. How was that? You know, so it's kind of, it's, it's yeah. fascinating how it's kind of all turned out. Yeah, and that's, that's rare for a show to do that. Um, not a lot of shows do that. Um, There's a few because... occasions in Third Watch, Guy. We've counted at least about three or four where people have been double cast, just to point this out. <laughs> yeah, but what he want, this is what, and this happens in Vancouver a lot. You'll see on, on you know, actors will come in and read for me and I'll see that they've done like, they did like two Smallvilles, they did two Supernaturals, because mm-hmm. as long as they spread it out over like four or five years, that's usually the, kind of the rule. As long as they don't come back within like the first four or five years. And in, in New York, it's Law and Order. Like everybody, <laughs> every actor's worked on Law and Order. No, we had that with Mark Consuelos. Um, Mark came in and uh, played like a pimp. His first thing, a pimp called named Daddy, mm-hmm. and he was great. He, he was because yeah, all he wanted to do was anything other than his soap opera. So he really <laughs> lobbied the casting directors to bring him in. And then years later, I think after I had moved on, they put him in a really nice suit, made him a detective, and he looked he looked great. <laughs> but you never know it was the same. I mean, unless you're a fan of his and know the name and the and the face. Um, I'm trying to remember. There was a couple others like there that. There was, where... um, the, I know in season one, so there was the episode where, uh, Sully and Davis, are hunting down the, the guy who they nicknamed Leroy Brown because he wouldn't give them their real name and he kind of had tied a girl up mm-hmm. in, uh, his, like, basement. He came back and was actually the opposing attorney to Avon Jung's character in that Viola Davis. And I think he was, like, helping out, uh, Kim, I think that was when they were fighting for Joey for custody. And then there was in Ohio in season one, uh, the French chef who like Sully was trying to get food off because they were on detail right. at a Hillary Clinton, uh, Giuliani meeting. He came back later on and he's like right. an attorney for Chevchenko, Roy Scheider's character. So there's a few right. that we've obviously pointed out, at least where we're up to in the recording. But, um, yeah, yeah. it's kind of, it's kind yeah. of funny. I mean, you know, it's us super fans that are really pointing it out, but it's kind of like, it's just kind of funny to see these like double casting moments. Yeah, well, the great look, the great thing about New York I loved was you have the best of Broadway mm-hmm. and you have the best of soap operas. And, and most actors, I mean, you know, I, maybe I'm talking out of school here, but most Broadway actors and or soap opera actors are dying to do anything other than soap operas <laughs> or, or their show. And they have, if they have an understudy, they can, they can, in the middle of the run of the show, they can, they can come out and play on a TV show. And so their uh, agents will send them out all the time. Um, you know, it's a little more difficult for a soap opera. I guess they kind of have to be on a hiatus. But, um, but you. But my point is, you got everywhere you go, you got amazing actors. I mean, you can't swing a dead cat without finding a great actor in New York. I mean, not not to say that other places aren't, but you know, uniquely to them, 
they're the capital of soap operas and of course Broadway. So um, yeah, we had a lot of fun with um, with uh, you know th- those kind of actors coming in because we like a lot of times we knew we knew of you know how great they were already because the casting director would would say hey, you know I'm bringing them in today you know this lady right here. Did you guys go see whatever? Did you see Beauty and the Beast? This guy's the Beast. You don't recognize him because, and all he wants to do is is, is play something on our show. He loves the show, and so we always try to get those guys uh, um, and come and play. And, and of course, you know they're understudy. He gets to move up and play the Beast for a couple episodes or a couple uh, shows, uh, you know, on Broadway. Fantastic, fantastic. One question, which yeah. I don't I don't know if you know too much about in terms of uh, you know you're working on the show producer role, and obviously you kind of I think moved on a little bit from the show when this sort of I think happened. But we spoke to Amy Carson a little bit uh, ago, and she was sort of mentioning about why her character of Taylor left, and a lot of that was sort of down to the fact that they were switching focus a lot more to the police uh, out of the three professions, and ultimately, you know, season five, season six in particular was very police heavy. Was that ever something that you were aware of the discussion about kind of switching focus away from the firefighters and paramedics and kind of really focusing on the the police instead no i don't i don't i don't remember anything or i didn't know i mean you know look from the beginning we only had one firefighter as a regular cast member and then i think bobby had moved on so so that was one we're you know obviously down a um a, a paramedic um from the original, you know, from the pilot first couple seasons, so that might have had something to do with it. But I, I don't know the details. Um, um, I know we had this gorgeous firehouse set that was just amazing that we loved to shoot in. So uh, I mean, it definitely wasn't because we couldn't shoot certain things. You know, we had our exterior, you know, that, that uh, we we would go to occasionally. Um, so I had nothing to do with that. So you know, uh, maybe maybe that was just a, a choice that was made after uh, you know Bobby moved on. I'm not sure. Mm. I really don't know. The one thing uh, which I think would be great to sort of get some tips for you next time I'm in New York is to kind of go out and see these shooting locations because the very first time I think I might have told you this story off air guy, but uh, the very first time I went to New York, one of my missions was to find the the firehouse, uh, the exterior, and I found it. So I you know I went yeah. took a bunch of photos, got my photo taken outside. It was just and I remember getting off the subway uh kind of in that area and straight away just looking around like this is this is third watch this just feels like you know i'm in a in a set of third watch because just that whole neighborhood really felt familiar so uh i definitely need to get some uh some tips to some of these other major locations that you filmed around next time in new york so i can go and visit them yeah i know there's a few super fans that will go and um take pictures and they'll they'll send them to me like uh, via direct message, and they'll say, "Is this the bar that you guys did? Uh, you know, in after hours where you know Ty gets drunk and, um, you know, memory serves a little bit, but um, yeah, I mean there was some pretty iconic spots that we shot um, that you know under bridges and there were certain places that that we always knew you know just film film friendly, easy to get a permit, um, but we were all over the place the first season in particular because. Of, we didn't have a lot of sets built, and we were only going to have our stages. We were in Hell's Kitchen area. We were like 10 floors up on this this building that we knew had been bought and that they were going to turn into like some kind of, um, you know, again, 99, it was kind of pr- uh, very early, but that we knew that they were going to fill floors of it with servers and, and computer stuff, and they wanted the rooftop in particular to put um, you know satellite dishes on. So we knew we were out of there after the first season, um, and then that, that's, that's when we, you know, second season we were, we were over in, um, Greenpoint. Um, 
but uh, so we were on location a lot the first season. We had some sets built, but they didn't want to obviously invest in a ton of money on sets that we had to you know, either had to just completely scrap or fold up and, and move across, you know, into another borough. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, the when I was back, last thing I shot there was I think 2016. I did a Mysteries of Laura. I kind of went on a sentimental journey and just walked and walked, you know. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was August, so it was perfect weather. And uh, went to a couple like street corners and went, ah, yeah, okay, yeah, I remember this. And then we did that. And then and also I had been there in '96 on um, a movie called Peacemaker as a camera operator. So there was a couple places I visited. Uh, area called Tudor City. We had a big sequence. And, um, that's always that's always interesting to do is like kind of go back through your career via. Um, locations and you know sometimes they're they're exactly how you remembered them and exactly how they were and sometimes they they're drastically different oh there's the dog barking um yeah yeah it's fun um yeah i mean i think there probably is a list of shooting locations that somebody's compiled mm. um you know, I, for, I need to find it i need because i know the one that, yeah. that intrigued me we had uh manny perez on oh gosh a couple of months ago now and it was interesting that when, you know, spoiler alert for anybody listening right now, it's not up to our, you know, season six or anything, uh, when Cruz obviously is ultimately killed off in the final episode, we see, uh, right. Manny Perez's character, Santi, uh, Manny sort of visit her grave, you know, Sergeant Cruz's grave. And then there was an episode of Shades of Blue, uh, recently, uh, where Ray Liotta's character is in a graveyard and the grave of Sergeant Cruz is still there. So I don't know if this was like oh. a prop, like if there's a prop graveyard somewhere in New York or something along those lines. But well, you know what, you know what they do? They build those gravestones out of foam, right? Really good foam because they're, they're, they're expensive because it's all it's done almost like it would be in stone. And then what they do is once uh, once it's bought by a production company um, and the and the the show ends, they kind of sell stuff back for pennies on the dollar to these um, set dressing companies, prop prop companies, and so they have a cache of them. So the designer will say, "Yeah, we need ten gravestones," and they'll go pick out ten gravestones, and and um, you know that happens a lot. Where you know there's props, you know you look close at the props that are set dressing of a police precinct or something, and you look down and you realize this is th- these are from Law and Order Special <laughs> Victims Unit season three, <laughs> um, just based on you know what what uh, what's written or you know obviously it was something generated for a particular episode that when it, when the episode was done they were like you know they just went to their lockup for that show and then. Again, once the show is is canceled, they uh, they just sell it all off to you know because they're perfectly good props and mm-hmm. set dressing, so why not? So yeah, that makes complete sense because I think Shades of Blue is New York. Based. Well, it's it's funny that that's sort of lasted the whole time. Like that was what over ten years ago, and I, I kind of want to visit yeah. this this graveyard now where there's a foam grave of Maritza Cruz, so I can go pay my respects to a well, fictional character. <laughs> well, as soon as they, as soon as they you know said okay, they, we got the scene, let's move on. Somebody went over there, you know, and popped it off of the whatever piece of uh, <laughs> rebar or whatever that they staked it down and took it back to the the prop house, and they're going to rent it again on another show. Right. Because <laughs> it, it's really interesting, because um, on the IMDb trivia page with Third Watch, there's, there's not a whole lot in kind of most of the things that I've read before, but it was just randomly looking it up. Uh, and I'm seeing here, it's on the ninth episode of the first season of Shades of Blue. Uh, and it says here, you know, Ray Liotta's character is making a phone call in the cemetery. In the cemetery, you can see the tombstone of Maritza Cruz. And I found the episode, and it's 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 not even a blink and you miss moment. It is so visible in the frame. Like, it's legitimately front and centre. Um, so it was just kind of just... It was random, because I think kind of outside of... Um, 
of that, the only other reference I know on another show that actually kind of said the words third watch and was talking about the TV show, I know in 30 Rock um, that... Uh, was it Jenna Maroney's character? I think there was like a paramedic in a scene or something like that, and she made reference to Third Watch. And, you know, being the fanboy I am uh, guy, I'm like, oh my god, they mentioned Third Watch! Uh, so <laughs> just kind of random. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's funny. Like, well, and also it's a, it's a, you know, like, like Vancouver shows have like, you know, so many crew members go from show to show that, that, you know, there's that kind of like synchronicity. And same with New York, it's a small town. So, you know, it, it kind of makes sense that, you know, there's there's homages played to, you know, things that, that from of past shows that, you know, maybe, maybe you know, the same production designer designed both shows or something. So um, that's always fun. That All those Easter eggs are always fun to kind of um, write in or, or, or frame in if you're a director. You know, it would be fun if we did this. And it's a nod to our past. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You, you directed 13 episodes of Third Watch Guy. Uh, did you have a favorite? Did you have a least favorite? Oh, man. I don't know. I mean, I think the second one I did... Um, I, well, I, I know at the time I wasn't as happy about the script as I was the first one. This Band of Brothers, I thought, you know, again, was a great script. second one wasn't as great, but we got to build that nice, like that giant, like, vat thing that the guy gets his leg caught mm-hmm. in we built that from scratch um you know and that's the kind of thing where you go you know it'd be good to do this and it'd be have, uh, nice to be able to pop this thing off to put the camera in and then you know a couple hours later you get a drawing on your desk and then like a couple days later they go hey we want to show you something and they've got it like the skeleton of it I mean, that's the addicting part of being a director is you know when you talk about ideas and, and concepts and then they start to become real and then by the time you shoot you're like oh my god i mean this is exactly kind of what it was in my pea brain when i read it um so i can't i can't what was the name of that episode the second one i did uh men it was the men yeah just men, men? yep yep yeah men so i remember at the time i mean you know, again we're going way back um i mean you know again you want me to say snow blind but i, I had some good memories of that one um <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I really, I mean, I, I really liked After Hours. There was just some kind of cool, you know, the, the supernatural aspect of it. Um, I've had people to this day say that, you know, and Zeus wept was, you know, they still remember, you know, parts of it. And we kind of took over a high school. I think we shot that during spring break because it would have been like this time of year, maybe later March, beginning of April, um, at a high school in Bayonne, New Jersey. We had a little bit of a commute over, over, or through a tunnel every day to get to work for that episode. Um, and I, God, I just can't, I can't. I've got the episodes in front of me. If you need any uh, refreshing of your memories at all, yeah, throw some titles out. All right, so uh, I'll do these in order. This Band of Brothers, obviously your first one. You had Men, After Hours, the greatest episode of Third Watch. Uh, Duty, which <laughs> I think you wanted to speak a little bit about Duty last time around. Yeah, you were- yeah. Well. Well, Duty was a great one because it's, it's it, you know, it was a very um, personal story, you know, because, you know, Ed or any cop will tell you and even a paramedic will tell you, um, sometimes you've got to do the thing, the thing that's not necessarily um, ethical or quote-unquote legal, but it's the right thing to do. And so, you know, the, the, the I guess the overall, you know, it was, it was a, a Sully story and a Bobby story. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Bobby's story is very simple. This is a woman that's got, you know, that it was very um, influential to him as, a, as one of his high school teachers, in contrast to his brother, played by John Seda, Maddie. Um, 
and then he has to watch her suffer and end stage breast cancer and the husband comes to him and says look you know we need to end this and she wants to end it and so she then she comes you know he comes to her later in the as as they've got her stabilized in the ER and she says can you make this go away you know of course his knee-jerk reaction is of course not that's murder that's illegal I don't do that but then we see him pocketing um, vials of morphine throughout the episode and I think we had talked about last time about how you know there, there was some dialogue at the end but I want to do two versions and thank God you know John Wells said yeah just shoot shoot one of each and then when you get in the editing room you get the choice and so we pulled all the music out and I was able to or we pulled all the all the dialogue out or we never we never even used those takes so it was just all looks like a silent movie and we played that great Nick Drake song Road mm-hmm. um, and then Sully's is is the kind of thing where you know you think that they're they've got them on some trumped up charges and at the very end of it after they've let him go Davis comes over to check up on him and he goes so he goes look I did it I moved it the guy was a you know, known whatever child molester rapist or whatever and uh, and he needed to go to prison and he needed to go away and we need to get him off the street and I'd do it again and you realize wow there's there's some there's some gray areas here mm-hmm. so that was great that was just a great well super well written episode I think Ed Bernaro wrote that one phenomenal um, so yeah that's definitely one of the top two or three for me easily well the other ones I'll just go through here uh, Man Enough which we discussed and Zeus Wet which we discussed right. uh, we talked last time about September 10th and the relay uh, you also did Transformed Cold Front Unleashed Lights Up and Snowblind which was your last one and I can probably see why you'd want to quit after that uh- <laughs> <laughs> no I mean thank God I kind of I, you know I mean I I had a great agent it was nothing it was absolutely nothing personal in fact when I went and said um, you know, I want to, I want to give up my producership and kind of, you know, play the, you know, play, like, play, be freelance. Um, I kind of half expected John and Chris to say like, "Why well, you, you know, thankless son of a bitch? What are you doing?" And they were, they were more like, you know, great, great, because it's, it's for your education. You've only directed Third Watch with a crew and a cast that you're very comfortable with, and vice versa. You need to go out there and you need to see how the other you know, showrunners and, and cameramen of the, of the world work to a guest director who's coming in. And you need to have these experiences with a, a, a ego, egotistical, you know, number one on the call sheet who's, who doesn't care what you tell them to do. You know, for your education, you need to you need to experience that. So they were great about kind of, you know, like supporting me for that. And then, you know, the idea was I could keep coming back and, and uh, doing an episode here and there, and they'd fly me in, and I'd go home at the end of it. And I did. I mean, the last two or three probably... But um, I got busy on other stuff. I mean, knock wood, I was able to, you know, get other stuff. And so I really wasn't available um, for, for um, I don't think, any of season six. I don't at all. I don't think. I can't remember now. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Cold Front, I can't remember now. Like, um, I, I, I guess I, you know, I could have I read all the log lines off of IMDb, I suppose. But, um that was uh, yeah, the essentially I, one uh, where Jerry was back because uh, he was kind of investigating okay. Doc uh, for his little uh, right. incident with the the neck brace, um, and that's the one where yeah. the the woman was frozen in the ice. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, well, yeah. That was that was super cool. Well, there's a perfect example of having an idea, crazy idea, and and we scouted real basements, and we realized God, we're never going to be able to shoot in here because the basement ceilings are like you know you can reach up and touch them. So how are you going to get a camera above an actor's head? And so we ended up building that set, and and like the movie The Exorcist, we chilled the set, like we kept it, we 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 air conditioned. It was freezing outside, and we air it was actually colder inside the stage than it was outside. Wow. 
So we, we refrigerated so we could get people's um, breath. And most of that was done in wax where we had like um, our actress and we had, you know, we had to do like a body cast of her to, cause the idea was that you just saw fingertips and the tip of her nose, mm-hmm. um, you know, as, as, as Sully slips on the ice and drops his, you know, flashlight, it skitters across and it's all that's illuminated and he realizes, holy shit, she still has a pulse. And then, you know, getting all the, uh, the heaters brought in and, yeah, that was cool. Technically, that was a difficult one to do. So that that's there's some good memories on that one, and um, yeah, and and then you know, um, oh man, I can't believe this. I can't remember now. But uh, Jerry, the, the actor that played Jerry, um, really great, solid New York actor, as good as they get. We all we all loved him from the pilot, you know, from early on where he got shot. Mm-hmm. So they they knew they wanted to work work him back into the show. And the other piece of trivia on him. Um, Oh, God, it's going to kill me now. I can't remember his name. Uh, Michael um, Rispoli. Rispoli, mm-hmm. exactly. Michael Rispoli, in the original casting of The Sopranos, was going to be Tony Soprano. Oh, wow. And it, Yeah, it kind of came down to him and uh, Gandolfini, and it, it was like, I don't know what, how, it, how it went one way or the other, but I think that they were the last two. So uh, I can see I that. I don't know if that. I, I mean, that probably it. happened right around when we did the pilot. Mm. But there's a bit of a Michael Rispoli trivia for you. He was really close to being Tony Soprano. There you go. Because I love Jerry. Like I, <laughs> I loved that where they bring him back in. I think that was just it was great. And um, we do uh, sort of at the end of every season, we'll just do a recap episode of the season, and we generally come up with our five biggest moments of the season and um i think it might be in that episode there's the season uh, the episode where kind of doc brings jerry to the waterfront where they had a previous call right. like a, a child had died or something like that and just just the scene between yeah. those two was just so powerful and sort of doc's crying yeah. you know begging for jerry to you know stay and listen to him and jerry kind of goes off and uh yeah i think that was in yeah that I, remember, I remember michael really wanted that scene to work out good so I think Scott Williams was in town at a at his ho- at a hotel, and so we decided to, let's get the three of us together. We'll all meet at the hotel, and we'll go, and, you know, have dinner and talk about it. And then Scott can he notes that Michael has he can write in there. And so I remember we really workshopped just the three of us that scene. Um, but that was it. I was like, you know, Mike's got to, you know, you, you got to, we got to see it all as bare and as as naked as it can be. And yeah, because because Jerry ends up being like an insurance adjuster. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's video where he's moved the kid with the neck brace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and, and we we had that great doc that's you know on the on you know right at the on the East River, um, across from Manhattan. Yeah, it was cold as shit. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Bring back all but these uh, cold so memories. Up. Yeah, it was. I mean, and again, much much like Michael Beach and Lisa Vidal. Um, the, uh, Michael Rispoli and, and Beach got along great. They were like best buddies, so it, right. was, it was easy to get those guys to um, to really um, you know bring bring it. And they did. I mean, it's a it's a great scene, and you know it's those kind of scenes. I look up and I go, I could shoot this all night. Mm. Why why are we shooting the rest of the episode? Let's just shoot this scene over and over. <laughs> this is so great. Which on re yeah. on rewatching season three, because again, sort of at the time of at least people listening to this are probably thinking, what are you talking about? You haven't released anything to do with season three. We've recorded that far in advance. We are recorded at least at the end of season three. But um, obviously, it's a lot difficult for some people who maybe haven't seen it in a long time just because it hasn't been released on DVD. But I always mm. actually, because I always kind of get season three and four gelled in with my mind somehow. But 
then when you watch season three, I just forget how many good episodes and how strong season three actually is. I always talk up season two. Um, but you know, there's just some great stuff in season three. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's a very solid season to, to me. You know, it, it still is at its peak third watch kind of going through season three. I think there was one episode which we binned and said it was a bad episode, but the rest were all solid episodes. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, but in this day and age of um, Hulu and Netflix and all that, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really shocked that Hulu hasn't, I mean, because it's 132 episodes. I mean, this is, like, good content, you know, for, and all I have to do is say from the producers of of ER and West Wing, um, you know, the, 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 the guys that work the, the, the whatever, the four to midnight shift, the third watch, I mean, it'd be easy to promote, um, and it's solid content. I mean, that's four solid hours of TV, or four Six seasons, um, 132 hours of solid TV. So it may, you know, and I think Hulu and NBC are the same. So I, I, it may be a Warner Brothers thing. And then also a lot of times with syndication like that is um, any of the songs, any of the music mm-hmm. will sometimes hold it up because, you know, we've talked about that I think a little bit, like, you know, Freaks and Geeks and some shows. Supernatural is another one where they, they'll rip out the original version and do like a cheesy cover version of the song. Um, so who knows? I mean, there's for some reason it, it, it hasn't. I mean, you know, obviously there's not a huge, huge demand of people pounding down the door like they would for ER, but and West Wing. But um, I don't see why they wouldn't. I mean, it's they it's it's owned 100 percent by NBC and Warner Brothers, and why not? Why not get it out there? Hopefully one day. Hopefully one day. Just a couple of these listening questions yeah. I want to get to, uh, guy. A lot of these, the third watch yeah. ones at least, have we've pretty much answered. Uh, across these two interviews. One here, though, Barb Brandon, uh, very uh, active voice in the uh, Third Watch fans group on Facebook. Hello, Barb. Uh, both, most of her questions have been answered, but she kind of has a point here, which is fascinating. She says, I'm curious how uh, they shot, uh, you know, a lot of the, the scenes cause, uh, and the difficulties involved uh, in the nighttime shoots, because obviously a lot of Third Watch, kind of you just alluded to there with the shifts being sort of, you know, 4 to midnight yeah. or 3.30 to 11, whatever it was, uh, the, the majority of that's yeah. at night time. I mean, as a director, that's yeah. obviously going to have its challenges, I, I'm assuming, kind of doing a lot of this at night. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, the, the the thing that strikes fear in the in the hearts of cast and crew are, are what we call an all-nighter, you know, a hard night, which we, you start at like 6 p.m. and you don't finish till the sun comes up. But you're also able to do splits where you start at like 11 p.m. and finish at 11 p.m. So you do day work up until lunch, take your lunch break, come back, and um, you do the night work. So it's kind of split up. So I think we did a ton of of splits. And, you know, we would just we'd get into meetings and we'd go, you know, it's just, you know, the, the line producers would say there's to the writers, it's just too many nights. We just can't do this. You can't do it to the crew. It's it's also now January and it'll be, you know, minus five Fahrenheit, you know, when we try and shoot this, if we shoot, shoot this as an all-nighter. So they could, they would say, okay, we can turn these scenes in from that are night into day. So that would help us a lot. Um, you know, some of the logistics, you know, if we shot the show now, I think we probably would do all the driving stuff, um, what they call process, where you, the car never moves, that you just have build like, they have like either video walls or the green screen is, is always cheesy, but the idea that we wouldn't actually go out and tow the, the um, ambulance or the, the, the what they call uh, RMPs, yeah. uh, Radio Mobile Patrol. Um, we wouldn't tow them around because th- that was always 
a ton of work, and what, what we'd end up doing is each episode was eight days to shoot, but we'd always have a ninth day. It would be the second unit day, and we would base where the next episode would start. So it would be day one of the next episode and day nine of the outgoing director's episode. And we would just we would just bite the bullet, and we would say, okay, the first half of the day is all, um, you know, depending if it's night and day scenes, it's going to be all um, in the ambulance, the, the bus. They used to call them the bus. Mm-hmm. We need a bus. So it would be the ambulance, so we would have, we would use the same one, um, and then we'd just bring those, you know, we'd either bring Kim and Bobby in, or we'd, you know, it'd be you know, Carlos and, and Doc, and um, and we would get those scenes just knocked out, you know, because you hard mount the cameras, and then then we'd either have, go to lunch or take take enough of a break to then rig that whole setup onto um, the RMPs. And you know we 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 would have, we'd we'd suss out an area that that would work to tow because when you tow uh, you know you, it's like a train now or a forty foot truck because you have this entire trailer with something that's being pulled by another giant trailer full of people and a generator and lights and all that. So just the logistics of it are always difficult. So you can't get a route that that you can't make right and left hand turns without taking out a parked car. <laughs> so that was always you know of concern. And we had you know we had ones near the stage that. We had a, a nice route to the point where you know they they kind of saw us coming. You know they, they go up oh, here, here come the third watch guys again. And I think we'd see the same shop owner wave to us. And, um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, but uh, you know, again, I think this in this day and age, we probably would do all that stuff on stage and 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 just do it as because visual effects are so much cheaper now and easier. It's you know there's an app for that literally. You know to, to do um, process stuff and big LCD screens with. Um, you know what they call the plates, where it'd be a plate that you would put outside the driver's side window, and then you have the plate outside the the passenger side window, and then one that would act as a reflection in the windshield if you shot through it. And it works great. You know, I just did I did a show called APB Cop Show uh, in Chicago um, a little over a year ago, and that was so great to shoot all that stuff because it, it just makes it so efficient and everybody's warm. Um, <laughs> so the logistics were tough. Um, but you know, the, we, if, it, if it was too much night, we'd have the writers just take another pass, and they'd pull things a day. And um, you know, there would be sometimes where we'd say, "Can we, you know, this scene you have at the, we have one too many scenes that are out in an area that we don't have enough of, you know, whatever, whether it's a bodega or whatever. Can we pull that to the firehouse? So like when they're putting their boots on or taking their boots off, we can do it in the either in the bay where the where the truck is, or we're on that location day, or take it back to stage and you get it down to a science i mean it's kind of broken down the, the the assistant directors get a feel when they read it and they make notes about okay now that we have like almost like one or two many scenes that are night with this actor or something or the turnaround for this actor so it's it becomes a big uh game of chess or tetris where you got to make everything fit mm-hmm. elegantly and you know there's going to be some stuff you're going to have like a couple days where you have long hours or a couple days where um, you're not going to get a shot off for the first couple hours. And, you know, that's as a director, you can't let that get in your way. You just go, okay, you know, I, I'm armed with this knowledge, and it's, no, it's going to be no shock to anybody, but we're going to get um, You just do it. I mean, uh, it, it does it does get down to a, a formula and a science after a while. I can um, imagine. And, and we make it work, yeah. Yeah, wow. This, the Fascinating hearing all kind of these uh Things all about that. Thanks, Bart, for the question. One here, which is a fun one, actually. Willie LaShawn asks, uh, who was the worst actor to have to deal with when it came to uh, bloopers? 
uh, and I guess uh, fluffing their lines. <laughs> oh, God, I can't remember now. Um, I know Bobby was always just super funny. Um, but Jason, I remember just anytime we had food or anything, Jason was like always good for a laugh. Um, I don't know. We had some good, you know, Anthony and, and, uh, and Michael Beach were, were also, they became like best friends to this day. And now, now all of us kind of live in the same area. It's kind of funny. Um, so those guys were always good for, for, um, funny outlay, uh, outtakes and bloopers. But, uh, yeah, it's been a while. I can't remember exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love watching like, guys. uh, I know on both the DVD versions, they, uh, actually have the bloopers and it's funny because um they released season one here in australia they actually never released season two like in sort of the australian format but we got it quite i think we were maybe the first country in the world to ever get a dvd like an official release because i remember the u.s release came out about six months later and our version in Australia had nothing but the episodes. There was the none, the featurette wasn't on all the bloopers. So as soon as the US version got released and I saw that it had the featurette and the bloopers, I'm like, well, clearly I'm going to buy the US version as well because I would purely pay all that money just to see a, you know, it's a great 20 minute documentary on, uh, you know, third watch on the first season DVD and then the blooper reels. So, uh, and then I think the season two DVD only came with blooper reels, but, uh, still funny it just i mean it just you know it's great to see kind of those things and just see you know these cast members obviously getting along so well kind of as you've alluded to and everything because uh you know that's what we want as fans of this show we want these guys to to be friends offset and uh you know sort of live up to the great chemistry they have on screen and kind of see that it's their off screen as well no it's it's true the partners became partners and it was like like i said a lot of times um we, you know, would say, okay, you know, bring Skip and Kobe in, and, and the guys would come in, and we, I go, okay, let's let's rehearse, and they would rattle through the lines. I'm like, holy shit, man, that's sounds great. And they're like, well, while we were getting our makeup done, we just ran the lines a few times, and you know, sometimes that's bad for a director because they've kind of like directed themselves on where they're going to put like a line or a nuance on something. But those guys' instincts were pretty good, and I remember, you know, but that's what the directors do. You go, okay, that's good, but let's do a version where you don't poo poo it, and we're not going to do sort of that crazy that you guys had of stepping on each other but let's do a version where we don't just in case we get in the editing room where we got options um but so so you know because they were all friendly you know all, you know off campus let's say um it, it just it came across on screen i mean at one point every sunday from like noon to five we would rent a rehearsal space in the, somewhere in the garment district um as a rehearsal space with a drum set and a pa <laughs> And Skip it was an amazing musician. Kobe's an amazing musician. Anthony plays and can sing his ass off. <laughs> Jason was learning to play guitar. I've been playing guitar since I was 13 years old. So we go down and just jam. We just wow. play blues or whatever. Yeah. Bring you know a few six pack of beer and uh, six packs of beer and, um, and and chips. And you know noon to five uh, almost every Sunday. Wow. There you so go. it really was it really was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Because like I think Anthony Anthony and Skip were New Yorkers, but everybody else was L.A. people. I think so. So, you know, yeah, it, you, nobody got too homesick. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's that's amazing. So many uh, stories, no doubt, uh, to share there. Just quickly before you let you go, Guy, just uh, thanks to everyone who sent the listener yeah. questions in. A, a lot of listener questions, actually. I'll have to forward these to you. Uh, a lot of Supernatural fans. Yeah, send them on. I can, I can answer them and send them, send them I, to I you. I will. A lot, of, a lot of Supernatural fans. I'll get them sent to you. So uh, a lot of Supernatural-based ah. ones. But the ones, the ones just, I mean, through all the things you've directed, just, you know, scrolling through your amazing career, one I just wanted to touch on super quickly 
uh, and the fact that you worked on uh, Sarah Connor the Terror, the Terminator. The, I've said that around the right way. Sarah Connor the Terminator yep. Chronicles. Uh, you know the one I'm talking about. Right. Uh, but you would have directed, uh, I believe, Shirley Manson, who of course was on the uh, second season. Uh, I did. What was it like? Because, I mean, that was her first, and I still believe to this day, her only acting role, which I think you couldn't tell, because, I mean, I'm a huge garbage fan. I, I love her from her band. But uh, how yeah. was it to work with someone like that, who I guess really coming into that just doesn't really have the acting experience and is mainly known as a musician? Yeah, it's funny. You know, I thought the same thing, because, you know, sometimes when you, you come into, again, as a guest director, you come into a moving train, and she had been in a few episodes, and I was saying to like, my writers, I'm like, how, how is she? Because, you know, according to her IMDb, she really doesn't have that many acting credits. And she's great because she's just so natural. She doesn't, she, I, you know, again, this is going back eight or nine years, but she, um, she you know, she didn't, she didn't have any bad habits. She didn't, she wasn't too self-conscious. I mean, and, you know, she's comfortable being stared at by thousands of people. So, you know, just being stared at by a camera and, like, ten people behind it, no big deal for her, so she didn't get intimidated. Very natural. I mean, I remember her being like super easy to work with. Uh, it's funny because remember I was telling you I tweeted back and forth with um, the producer of Altered Carbon today, mm -hmm. um, that James Middleton. He was the producer of that. He, I think James is the guy that hired me. I came in and had a meeting with him, and he and it's funny because that episode that I, I did too, and the first one I did um, was a big. Uh, it was all took place in, or most of it took place in a, um, I think a flash forward. Um, where they're on a um, submarine. And it ran, like, the first initial cut ran, like, 15 minutes too long. And so they, but everybody loved all the footage. So we're like, you know, if we write, I mean, they realized, I was on to other things, and they realized if they wrote for, to make, to fill out another, you know, half hour's worth of original material, they could turn that into a part two and only have to shoot for five days and and, and save some money and save some days for the big finale. Hmm. So they did. So I did the part twos like a month and a half apart, I think. Wow. It was never intended to be a part two. And um, it worked great. I mean, it was so organic. Nobody cut their hair. Nobody, everybody was available. Because I said that when they booked me on that, they said, okay, here, put a pin in yourself for these for these, these five days, plus <laughs> probably four or five days of prep. I said, okay, you know, certainly Chad Coleman's not available. Nope, we got Chad. He's fine. Did he cut his hair? No. <laughs> so we didn't have to do any like jumping through hoops to make it work. Or, you know, having, like, embarrassingly, you know, bad continuity on a certain actor's, you know, look or hair or facial hair or anything. It all worked great. And um, and those 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 two uh, episodes are, were uh, a lot of fun to do. Um, it, it, and I always, I often say, would, would they have been any better if we knew that they were going to be part two um, before we start shooting them and we shot them, like, as a, as a two-parter? Probably not. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's a good... It's a you know sort of that smoke and mirrors of of cinema or making films. Sometimes uh, you know you're able to pull off what feels like something that's impossible. And you know if, we're, if we've done this enough as a as a crew, as a you know producer, director, writers, you know the, the cast, of course, if we've done this long enough. We're pretty good at this by now, and that that's always the kind of the the, the real magic of it all. Is like when it's all said and done, everybody's patting each other on the back. You're like, hey. Actually worked pretty good. <laughs> so um, yeah, I have great memories of that show, and it's too bad because I think the two that I did aired like 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 second to last, and like well, they they weren't the finale, but I think they were the two episodes before the finale, and they were pretty sure they were going to come back for another season, and they, and they were you know we were all were talking as a group about man, it'd be great. I'll you know, heck, I will have you come back and do some more, and I 
excited about it, and then of course they pulled a plug. Um, and there's a lot of stories about you know Fox and why they pulled the plug, and but anyway, it's gossip. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's, it's been a long yeah, time since I've great. seen I mean, it. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I had the pr- the pleasure yeah, of uh, one of my favorite interviews I've ever done in my entire uh, career was uh, Shirley Manson several years ago for a breakfast show that I did. Oh, cool. um, huge, huge fan of hers, but. Um, yeah, I just I just had to kind of get a, a glimpse there, and it's actually it's funny um, just looking through your career as well. And again, we could do a whole other episode. I'm just getting you back here every week, apparently, guy. But uh, I mean, your, your camera days. I mean, the fact that you worked on films like you mentioned, um, The Peacemaker before Titanic, uh, Deep Impact, uh, Austin Powers, yeah. uh, Bowfinger. Yeah. That's one of my favorite films. Well, that was uh, fun. The year in '98, I think I did. Um, was it '98? Yeah, I think I did. Um, Austin Powers. What? Oh, I, I did. Oh God, I did a big pilot that did, ended up not going with Chris Chulak. It didn't go, mm-hmm. and that was the year that that Wells said to me, "Look, it would have been nice for you to do the the, the for this pilot to go because then when you, we could have turned you into a director when it went <laughs> to series. But don't worry about it because in '99 I got two pilots that I'm already, you know, we're definitely going to do ones about the president, all the people that worked for him in the West White West Wing of the White House." And another one that's about cops and firemen on the streets of, we don't know whether they're going to do San Francisco, Chicago, or New York yet, but we'll let you know. And of course, at the end of 1998, they sent me those scripts, but um, I think I did a thing called Crazy in Alabama, which was really cool. Ant- Antonio Banderas directed it. Um, his wife, Melanie Griffith, was the star. The cool indie that we shot down in Louisiana. And then I think I came home and went right into um, Bowfinger, oh. which is really interesting. Which is we funny. Grew up, yeah. I grew up as a huge Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy fan, so it was really fun to work on that. And then in the middle of that, the cameraman took me aside and said, hey, I'm going to do the, the second Austin Powers movie. You want to come <laughs> do it with me? And so literally the same lighting grip electric crew went right on to Austin Powers. Wow, wow. I know uh, Colin, then, one of our co-hosts on this show, his favourite movie of all time is Bowfinger. So, uh, you know, if we ever cover <laughs> that, he'll, he'll be wanting to do that here. Just, I mean, Titanic, though, I mean, how, how that, at the time, what, the most expensive movie ever made, essentially, went on to be the most expensive, yeah. your most successful film for a large period of time. And as a camera operator, I mean, that's got to be, is it working on such a big film like that? Is it challenging? Is it more fun? Kind of, you know, I'm not, I was kind of long-winded questions here, and you could probably do another episode in itself just on Titanic alone, mm-hmm. but that must have been an experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I only wore, I think total I did about two weeks on it when they were in Baja, you know, um, Rosarito Beach. Um, they had already done a ton, because I, I was on Peacemaker up until I came, I think I was home a week when my agent said, hey, you know, and the, the A camera, the, like the main camera operator was a friend of mine, Jimmy Miro, and um, Jimmy asked to see, you know, called her and said, can Guy come down, you know, we got, because there's all the stuff where they were sinking the boat, and there was only so many times they could sink it, and they realized it was going to get waterlogged, mm-hmm. so camera's attitude is just bring as, you know, get as many cameras down here as possible. Of course, it got a little dicey because we couldn't shoot each other, right? So there's only so many angles you could get. But Jimmy and I would do these really cool, like, steady cam shots where I'd profile while he would back up. It was all the stuff where David Warner uh, is looking for Leo after Billy Zane's chased him down the stairs and mm-hmm. shooting at him. And yep, yep. He says, you know, and then he knows he's got the coat with the diamond in it. And a lot of it they cut out. Like they cut a ton of stuff that we, we worked on out of that that sequence but you know is easily a solid two weeks but it was fun to come into this this uh again a moving train and just kind of like just launch into it and um you know again i knew you know at the time 200 million i mean this is 22 years ago so a 20 
$200 million budget was like, yeah, it broke all the records. So it was, it was a lot of, again, responsibility. And they built this this whole mock-up of the Titanic inside and out um, specifically for this movie and built these tanks in, in, in Mexico to, to sink it um, in, in seawater. They didn't treat any of the water, so all the camera equipment was slowly rusting. Hmm. Um, you, could look, you could look at a piece of metal and it would start to rust. Um, yeah, that was ninety. That was the end of ninety six. Crazy. But yeah, it, the other cool thing is at the end of ninety eight, um, I you know Austin Powers I think went from the end of ninety eight to the beginning of ninety nine, and I'm finishing up Austin Powers and I get a call from um, cameraman named Bob Ellswit, Academy Award winner Bob Ellswit. He said, "Hey, I'm doing this movie right now, uh, and um, we're looking to replace our Steadicam guy, and um, you come highly recommended. It's this thing uh, called called Magnolia." Mm. And I knew a little bit about it, and I said, "Yeah, yeah, the Boogie Nights guy." He goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And I said, "Well, you did great work on Boogie Nights, Bob." He's like, "Well, thank you very much. Well, let's work together." So, <laughs> I, I couldn't, I couldn't jump on it immediately because I wanted to finish Austin Powers. But I literally went, I finished Austin Powers on a whatever Wednesday evening, and Thursday morning I was on um, Magnolia, and that that wasn't a full time gig. That was like a, a, a day or two, and then I'd have a day or two off, and then I'd go in. And then while I'm finishing up Magnolia. I get a call from Chris Chulak saying, hey, I'm doing this pilot. It's um, New York City, cops and firemen, <laughs> paramedics on the streets of New York, and I'm sending you the script right now. And I think I also got the Tommy Shalami sent me the script for West Wing, but I kind of, I knew, I, I, you know, I think we talked about this last time, I knew I wanted to spend some time in New York and, you know, car chases and shootouts and babies <laughs> being dropped out of third floor, you know. Buildings on fire. Stand and getting yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's and then amazing. you know that was also my deal was that that they were going to let me direct. So you know that was that was an easy. So there we go. That was that took me to like March of April of ninety nine. Wow, and here and, we are um, now. It's yeah. uh, it's yeah, it's crazy, so crazy. Just <laughs> before we let you go, then, guy, I mean, do you have anything sort of on the uh, horizon that you're allowed to to talk about? That kind of uh, you know, I mean, do you still get sort of uh, called up, scouted to to direct shows, uh, things like that? Uh, yeah, I mean. Happening? It's it's a it's an interesting time in our history because there's a lot of uh, push for diversity, and so um, the you know I'm on the bottoms of a lot of lists that I used to be at the top of, and it's just a blow to the ego. And you know it doesn't mean that I you know am any less talent. If anything, I'm more talented than I was when I did Third Watch in '99. But it's not kind of how it's perceived. But you fight fire with fire. So I'm, I got two TV projects. I'm, wor- I'm working on one with Ed Bernero. Mm-hmm. Ironically enough, because we just did um, I, this show Ice together, um, that was like uh, July through Christmas. Um, I directed for, Ed directed for, and we realized how much fun we had working with each other. You know, not, not only on Third Watch but on Cr- Criminal Minds. And I, so I said, I, I got this crazy idea, and um, I've collaborated with um, with somebody, and and hopefully it'll it'll come to fruition. So I, I don't have to be so so cryptic, but. Um, we I got the three of us together, and it's um, it's a true crime kind of thing. So hopefully that could turn into a show. And then um, I've teamed up with an actor a friend of mine who um, is I, I always call him like he's, he's like a Charlie Chaplin. He's he's very very sublime. Like he you know you can tell a whole story on his face without any dialogue. And so I, I knew we wanted to work together, so I pitched him some ideas, and we settled on one. So we're taking that out to a couple of places. So there's two TV projects, and then um, two indie films. And ironically enough, I'm helping our friend Jason Wiles. Um, he's going to do an indie here that he wrote and is going to direct and um, helping him just doing whatever I can, whatever he needs me to do. I'm, you know, I'm, <laughs> so I'm coming on as a producer just to help out as much as I can. I think we're going to start shooting April 5th, so that's right. One, three weeks. Wow. Yeah. Everything getting busy. We're trying to piggyback it, and I, would, I was going to try and do this indie that um, 
that I've been trying to do for over two years now um, in May, like right after he finishes, but because he's he's going to act in mine, um, but uh, it's it's not quite ready, and and, and I don't want to shortchange it because it's such a good script. I don't want to just go for the sake of going, so we're going to wait a little bit. Beautiful, beautiful. I tell you what, we're going to start. Yeah. Up, I think we need to start up like a. Um, a crowdfunding sort of page or whatever, and we should uh, all come together, do some sort of Netflix or something TV uh, reunion of everyone on Third Watch. You know, we'll raise a lot of money, guys. Just you know, we'll make sure you're all heavily compensated. Um, and yeah, then no, kind look, of, I mean, we'll get every, we'll get the crew together. Cr- we can start meetings. How, how does that sound? <laughs> yeah, crazy, crazier things have happened, and you know, you know, just the fact that that Ed and I talk, you know, or text each other, you know, since. Yeah, November when I finished my stint, you know, he was still in Cape Town, South Africa till like Christmas. But since the beginning of the year, we text or talk, email, you know, almost every day, every other day. So it's not beyond the realms of. I mean, obviously, it's still owned by Warner Brothers and NBC, but they may see some value in doing like a, a six episode, eight episode. Oh, people Where lose their shit. Or, that would be great. <laughs> you get me cool excited just be, thinking right? about and, it right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and everybody would jump back in. I mean, there's no bad blood on any front. I mean, we we with, with a couple phone calls, we could get everybody kind of like back in in the swing of it. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody's around, so um, it would be it would be a blast. So, I mean, you know, it's not beyond the realms of something that can happen. I mean, it and maybe it is just kind of you know going to whoever you know we have to at Warner Brothers or you know NBC and saying, hey, can we? You know, whatever whatever rights that need to be given up or handed over, why not? It's just gonna not it's gonna not do anything versus there's a chance to do something. So yeah, yeah, um, we'll see. We'll see. And, and if you need uh, publicity done, you know a guy in Australia who would gladly fly out and uh, help uh, <laughs> work on on set and That's, produce and I'm mean, not produce, but publicize and everything along those lines. I mean, I could produce. I'm sure I could. Uh, you know get trained up in the amount of time i don't know uh not to take away from all producers out there saying that it's a quick and easy job to learn uh but you know it's stranger things have happened guy it's seriously such a pleasure to be able to get you back on here mate we really do appreciate right. so many stories and everything ultimately that uh can be shared here but uh you know i'm going to hook you up with some episodes we're gonna we're gonna keep chatting and uh yeah always a pleasure to have you here on the show mate and you're welcome back anytime okay but we'll talk soon And a massive pleasure to have Guy on the show. Just uh, such a great honour to be able to chat to him more about Third Watch and everything else in between. And uh, by all means, as I said, we will uh, have him on whenever he wants to come on the show because there's obviously a lot more that we can talk about and uh, fill in the gaps there. As always, uh, we appreciate you, the listener, listening to us. And if you have anything you'd like to say to us in terms of feedback or you love us, you hate us, anything else in between, you can, of course, uh, follow us on social media. We have, of course, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or on YouTube. And remember to subscribe, um, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those other channels as well. Leave us some feedback. We definitely would appreciate uh, hearing your thoughts. But a big thanks once again to Guy Norman B for joining us and uh, for our Third Watch fans remember Wednesday's Third Watch Day our weekly look at the TV show that is the greatest of all time as we look through every single episode of the history of the show tune in Wednesdays on the Oz Network for those episodes uh, once again we appreciate you listening to the show my name is Ben this has been the Oz Network and we'll speak to you next time good night thank you for listening to the Oz Network don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week for more information hit us up at theoznetwork.net